Hello and welcome to the podcast of Lakeside Elizabethtown. We are located at 1801 Green Road in Elizabethtown, Kentucky, 42701. You can call us at 270-769-1297 or visit us at our website at www.lakesideetown.com. Sunday morning services begin at 10.30 a.m. and our Wednesday night Bible study begins at 7 p.m. Come out and celebrate Jesus with a bunch of ordinary people who serve an extraordinary God. And now to today's sermon with Pastor Tim Nichols. Let's move into what I want to share today, your pattern, your posture, and your passion. See, in the beginning, God was able to walk freely with man. This is he walked with them in the cool of the garden. He had fellowship with man daily. He, he called Adam by name. He, he, he had regular conversations with Adam, and he, he gave them instructions. There was no barrier between the two. See, I can't even conceive a relationship with God like that where there's absolutely no barrier to where he's walking with you physically. He says he walked with Adam in the cool of the garden. To, to have a relationship where I can see God manifest and have a conversation with him just like I can have with you is mind-blowing to me, and that's what Adam and Eve had. But see, there's a problem. God cannot coexist with sin. And when sin enters the scene, God cannot stay because he is spotless. God will not be stained. God will not allow his presence to be polluted with sin. And see, that's another issue I think we need to address in the American church is the issue of sin. See, we have gotten so close to the concept of grace that we have forgotten that God is just. We've gotten so close to the concept, and see, we've got this skewed concept of grace as if it's a license to do wrong. But grace simply means unmerited favor. In other words, it means it gets me in a position that I don't deserve so that God can use me. It does not mean, and I think Elder Robinson and a lot of Christians confuse grace and mercy. See, we're supposed to walk in grace. We're supposed to walk in unmerited favor. We're not supposed to walk in mercy. See, mercy is what visits you when you deserve punishment. And God says, I'm not going to punish you. But see, God will eventually punish. His mercies are new every morning. But there is going to come a day when he is no longer going to be able to extend mercy to people on the day of judgment. And that, that may sound the opposite. It may sound flipped upside down of what you've been taught, that you can do whatever you want, however you want, however long you want, and God will forgive you because God is good and because his grace. Grace is designed to teach you to obey. If you don't believe me, write down Titus 2.11. It says, The grace of God teaches us to obey and to resist all ungodliness. See, that is grace's mission. Its mission is to get us to a place to where we are no longer slaves to sin. So sin and God cannot coexist, and it created a problem. See, God was no longer able to walk with man on the earth because let me, let me ask you a question. Um, let, me, let me see if somebody I'm pretty sure is going to know. Dr. Robinson. It says Adam and God walked in the garden. But what 
did God do when Adam sinned? So he used his voice. It says he called to Adam because, see, he could not walk with him anymore. But God still wanted a relationship. So it says that he made garments. He killed an animal. See, a lot of people think that Abraham, or I'm sorry, uh, Cain offered the, the, or Abel offered the first sacrifice. But actually, it was God that offered the first sacrifice. When he slew the animal in order to make a covering for Adam and Eve so that he could at least have a relationship with them. Even all the way into Moses, when Moses said, show me your glory, Lord. God said, I'll show you my backside. Now I'll let y'all figure out what God's backside is. <laughs> but he said, I'll show you my backside, but I can't show you my face. And see, Adam had a face-to-face -face relationship with God. But when sin entered the scene, when disobedience and rebellion entered the scene, the earth became polluted. It became, I, I, every season, I change the filters in my air conditioning system. And yesterday, I changed the filters in my air conditioning system, and they had been blackened by whatever we do in our house. But the ones that I put in were lily white, clean as a whistle, clean as could be. And see, what happened is those filters were polluted. And once they are polluted, they cannot be trusted. And that's the way the earth was during the time of Adam and Eve. All of mankind at that point was sinful, which consisted of Adam and Eve. They had both actively rebelled. It's, it's not like the rebellion that we sense today. They walked face to face. They saw the glory of God manifest, and they were unharmed by it because they were made in his image, and they were perfected. And when that sin came into the scene through the deceiver, through Satan, who was crafty, by the way, See, we, don't, we discredit the devil to the point to where we think he's stupid. If he was stupid, he wouldn't have been able to fool the perfect man and the perfect woman. Right. Satan is not stupid. We just aren't. He, he's just stupider than we are when we have Jesus in us. Amen? We, we're, not a, we're not unaware of his schemes. See, we should always be a step ahead of him. So see, this problem had to be addressed. And God was like, I got a plan. I'm going to give you a pattern to follow. And if you follow this pattern, it will make a space where I can operate on this earth. Now, it took a while for them to get that pattern in place. So the animal sacrifice and various things kind of paved the way. But the first thing that was the pattern that God set in place was sacrifice. Something had to pay for the penalty of sin. You don't get off scot-free. You don't just sin and walk away and there are no consequences. And because we are unable as man to pay the consequences of sin, it's a debt too great for us. Eternal, eternity paying for our sins is, is a burden no one can carry. It's a shame that many choose that. I can't imagine the level of torment of having to pay and that's, see, that's why they suffer for eternity. That's why hell is such a, 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 a drastic place, is because there is no payment for sin. 
It cannot be paid for except by God. So that lamb represented a future. That lamb represented Jesus, ultimately we know now. And every time the children of Israel obeyed and offered that sacrifice, that created a clean space where God could use. Now here's what's interesting. God chose the initial clean space. And today we know it as Israel. Now I, I want to take you to a, a, a word of scripture, and it's in uh, Exodus chapter 25. Now I want you to, to look at this. Pay attention. Now let me, let me tell you what's been going on here. Moses went up to the mountain, and he was talking to God. This was revolutionary. Since the time of Adam and Eve, no one had a relationship with God like Moses did. Moses was able to speak to God face to face, it says. Obviously, he didn't see his face, but he was able to speak to him directly. And what's interesting is while he was in the mountain, God gave Moses instructions. He said, here's how I want you to build the tent. Here's how I want you to make the candles. Here's how I want you to make the Ark of Presence. Here's where I want you to put the Ark of Presence. Here's how many loops I want you to have in each curtain. Here's how many curtains I want you to have on each side. Here's the direction that I want you to have the temple or the tabernacle facing. Here, is, here are the people that I want serving in specific areas. Here are the people that can go into the Holy of Holies once a year. Here are the people that can serve in the outer course. Here are the people that can do this. And he He's given all these instructions on the lampstand and the brazen altar and, and all these things. And I'm imagining Moses is like, what, what is this for? But look at what it says. It says, and see that you make them. Now, all of these articles that I just mentioned to you, after the pattern for them, which was being shown to you on the mountain. Now, if you, we had time, we could fast forward to the book of Revelation. We could fast forward to many of the books of the prophets. And we can fast forward to Isaiah chapter 6. But here's something that happens. We're not going to go to Isaiah chapter 6. I want you to listen to me. What pattern was God telling Moses to build after? Well, if you go to Isaiah 6, you cheated because you already knew. <laughs> Isaiah 6, it says, He saw heaven open, and he says, I saw the Lord, and his train filled the what? The temple. Now, we look elsewhere in the Pentateuch and throughout the Scripture, and God makes it clear to Moses that these things are patterned after heaven. Now, go with me to Matthew chapter 6, verse 7 through 13. Now, I'm going to say the way we use this prayer gets on my nerves. And I'm going to tell you why. Well, actually, Jesus is going to tell you why, and I'm just going to repeat what Jesus said. He says, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. And do we not use the Lord's prayer as an empty phrase? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be that. You do realize, they didn't say, Lord, teach us a prayer. Elder Robinson, what did they say? Teach us how to pray. And say, teach us a prayer. See, we call this the Lord. This is not a prayer. This is a how-to pray. Are you hearing me? Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. 
Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now stop there for a second. If I don't get done today, that's just perfectly all right. See, what this is, this is not a prayer. This is a how to pray. In fact, it says, pray then like this. And the King James says, pray in this manner. Pray in this type. Pray in this pattern. See, the reason God doesn't answer a lot of people's prayers is because our prayers aren't patterned after heaven. And see, we start first by addressing the object of our prayers. Our Father in heaven. So who did Jesus tell us to pray to? The Father. Now, if you pray to Jesus, we're not going to get technical here, okay? They're all one God. But he told us to pray to the Father. How would be your name? So in other words, we go into the presence acknowledging the Father and acknowledging the holiness of his name. And then look at this. It says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now that is not an accidental statement. He is saying, if you will follow this pattern, heaven and earth will be able to match. See, that's the thing about a pattern. Sister Bostwick, I know you've made dresses off of patterns before because your husband, he tells on you. And he says, you've made some beautiful dresses for conferences and various things. And now I'm going to assume you didn't just start whacking on some material. You had a pattern that you followed, right? And when you followed that pattern, what happened? That dress turned out just as beautiful as the one on the picture. And that's what Jesus is saying here. If you follow the pattern, it's going to look the same. Oh, man, that's worth the reason you're here today. If you follow the pattern, it's going to look the same. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So when we follow the pattern, heaven and earth, in that space where the pattern's being followed, looks the same. See, that is why the glory of God was able to reside inside a tabernacle or a temple later on, and man didn't die. Because heaven and earth in that space was lined up and it created a space where God can operate. Let's hurry and finish this song, get ahead of myself. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Some uh, say sins, some say trespasses. Basically just means when you do something to someone else, forgive us of that. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And the King James says, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory now and forever. Amen. Lyndall Cooley said something, and I'm not trying to lift up a man, but he said something that I thought was profound. He said, when the pattern's right, the glory falls. And it took me a second to catch what he said, but I knew it was a profound statement. I knew I had to write it down. I knew I had to chew on it. When the pattern's right, the glory falls. Why? Because, see, it creates a space where God can move. But there's something that really interesting that happened once the true lamb came. Once the true sacrifice came. And we can see that. In Corinthians, where it says, in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 3.16, look at what it says. It says, don't you know that you are God's temple and the Spirit of God dwells in you? So now where is the ark of presence? 
It's inside of us. So when we follow the pattern that God has set for our lives, that means the glory can fall on our lives. So we are now the clean space that God can operate in. It's not tied to a location anymore. That's why Jesus was able to tell the woman at the well when she said, well, you Jews say you're supposed to worship on this hill, but we Samaritans say we're supposed to worship on this hill. And then Jesus said, you don't have to worship on any hill. Those who worship me will worship me in spirit and in truth. But see, the thing is, we have to get our pattern right. I am going to tell you, you will be either elevated or destroyed by the pattern that you set your life after. Now, let me just say what pattern is. It is a discipline. That's an ugly word in church today. No one wants to hear about discipline because that's legalism, pastor. Don't put any requirements on us because that's legalism. But, but here's the thing. Does God require nothing? Anybody? Does God require nothing? Then God's a legalist. Using that definition. And God is not a legalist. God puts patterns in place for our protection. He puts boundaries in place for our protection. He says don't lie because lying will destroy you. Not because he wants to put some legal requirement on you. He doesn't tell us don't commit adultery because he's mean. He tells us don't commit adultery because it destroys families. It can get you diseases. It destroys you. I want to take you to Exodus chapter 40, verse 34. And look what happened once the tabernacle was completed. It says, And the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. See, once they completed it, after the pattern that he told them to complete it, the glory filled the temple. Now, let's go to the next one. When the temple was completed, in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 1. You're going to see a parallel here. And as soon as Solomon finished the prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Do you see a pattern? See, God is very into patterns. God, See, that's how we can predict his behavior. That's why our worship pastor can with confidence say, when we do such, God must respond. Because we know God has a pattern. You know, God uses numbers all throughout the scripture. Look for sevens. Look for threes. Look for 12s. Look for multiples. 144,000? That's just 12 12s. Or I'm sorry, 12. 120 12s, I believe it is. I'm not a math major, forgive me. But look for these 12 disciples, 12 tribes of Israel. You, you, you think God just was like, let's just throw a bunch of stuff together. See what? No, God is into patterns. 40 days. 40 days fasting, 40 days in the wilderness, or 40 years in the wilderness. Jesus was 40, years in, 40 uh, days in the wilderness. Uh, Moses spent 40 days on the mountain. See, God is into setting. He, oh, he's dropping hints all over the place. If we will just pay attention to the details. And see, in a New Testament sense, pattern means behavior. Since we are the temple, then if we pattern ourselves in a way that matches heaven, 
then it creates a space where God can move. When we come together as a group of people and we have the pattern right, then we create a larger space where God can move. Metaphorically speaking, God is not bound by space or time. I want to take you to Matthew chapter 27, verse 51 through 54. I want you to take a look at something. It says, Behold the, the curtain of the temple. Remember, that's where the glory fell, right? Was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, number one, that curtain was thick. No man could tear, uh, tear it. It was also tall. It says, And the earth shook and the rocks were split. Now, check this out. Tombs were opened. And many bodies of the saints who were falling asleep were raised. How many of you ever heard a sermon on this text? <laughs> okay, you're the only person. That's because preachers are terrified of this text. It says, And coming out of the tombs after this resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. Here's what I believe happened here. I believe that the glory of God fell because the sacrifice was right, because the pattern was right. It ripped the veil, and now the glory was not restricted to a location. So then the glory hit them graves. <laughs> and bodies just start going, boop. Now, we don't know how much longer they lived after that period, and we don't know how long they were dead. <laughs> That's all I know is they got up when the glory fell. Right? And maybe they got up and resurrected. I don't know. But I just happen to believe that they were dead folks, got up out of the grave, and they lived again on the earth. Pretty crazy stuff, isn't it? The point is, if we will set our lives after the pattern of heaven. You know one of those patterns that we break? What is the seventh day supposed to be? A day of rest. How many days do most of us work? Seven. See, when you break the seven, when you break the pattern, you lose the glory. We cannot work ourselves to death, folks. We've got to find a way to get ourselves to a place to where we can take... And it, look, it does not have to be the seventh day, although I think that would be ideal. But folks, we cannot work ourselves to death. We can't function that way because it breaks the pattern. See, God set a pattern, and he set it early. He worked six days, and he took the seventh day off. Now, here's the interesting thing. Does it, does it require effort for God to do anything? He just boom, boom, boom. He didn't need to take a day off. God don't get tired. He was setting a pattern. He was setting a pattern. All these patterns, then the glory will be able to manifest in our lives. You know why the glory can't manifest in a lot of, of Christians' lives is because we're so tired. Now, another pattern God gave us was a pattern of prayer. Now, here's an interesting thing about prayer. In the book of Acts, we talked about this yesterday, 21 times the church met corporately to pray. 21 times in a 28-chapter book. But yet, people often dismiss the value of corporate prayer. I ain't quiet because I don't know what to say. I'm quiet because I'm trying to figure out how to say it. 
that I'm going to make a wager. I'm going to wager that if you have an opportunity to pray with us corporately and you refuse, that the pattern is not right in your life, and there are things going crazy. Because, see, when the pattern is blocked, the glory can't get through. And that is why we offer so many opportunities, folks. We're not trying to drag you out of bed at 6 o'clock in the morning if you can't do that. That's why we have a Sunday school class that meets at 9.30. I'm trying so hard to sell this thing because it's a part of the pattern. When Israel had a problem, what did they do? They got together and prayed. Well, folks, we got a problem. Churches in America are dying. A million babies a year are being killed, if not more. We got politicians that have more money than all of us combined, probably, arguing about how rich people should have money taken from them. And they're richer than the rich people they're trying to rob. Forgive me for getting political, but I didn't take a side. We are so out of whack in this country, it is astonishing to me that it has not driven the church to its face in the floor, saying, God, help us. Corporate prayer is a pattern God set in motion in order for his people to be postured correctly, which we'll get to in just a second. But see, pattern by itself is not enough. The Pharisees had the pattern. They were faithful to the house of God. They wore all the garb. They stood upright. They had all the stuff figured out. They were ready to roll, and they were condemning all the other people that didn't look like them, act like them, dress like them. They had the pattern down. I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees. And we saw how the Pharisees prayed. Jesus gave us an example. The dude on the, on the, on the side of the mountain. Oh, Lord, I thank you. I ain't like this loser over here. I thank you that I give my tithe. Because... Woo, tithing is a pattern too. Oh, Jesus. See, when you give your tenth, your 90 is blessed. See, God is in the numbers. And we follow the pattern. You want the glory to fall on your finances? Then give your tenth. Now, if you're not at a place where you can do that... I can't tell you otherwise, folks. I, I can't tell you otherwise. I can't tell you, well, try, I can't do that. I can't do it. Because then I'm robbing you. But I would wager that if you're in opposition to tithe, number one, you're voting to close this church. Mm. Let that sink in a minute. I refuse to give because I don't think this church is worthy to give. I'd rather it close than for me to give. That's what people say when they refuse to give. Lord, you're going to help me get out of here, right? <laughs> but it also creates a block where the glory cannot fall on your finances because the pattern's not right. See, when the pattern's right, the glory falls. Why is it 10%? God set that amount, not me. And God is just. He's fair. He always does the right thing. I'm going to trust him with my numbers or with his numbers rather than mine. Because, I mean, if he was up to me, Courtney, I'm going to be honest. Is it to me I'd give less? Left to my own devices, I could find some use for some of that money. Right? We're about to get a new vehicle. We could hurry that process up, couldn't we? 
But I want the glory on my vehicle. <laughs> Amen? I want the glory on my finances, so I'm going to give my part. See, God doesn't leave it up to us. He sets a pattern. And those patterns indicate our discipline. And when we follow the pattern, the glory falls. Just like Jesus told us to pray. And when you pray, he said, use this pattern. The one we just read. But he also said, don't do it to be seen. And then some people are like, see, I told you Jesus was against corporate prayer. Then you can say he was against fasting, too, because he said, don't fast to be seen. He said, when you fast, when you tithe, when you do this, when you do that. See, it's all about motive. I know. (laughs) The second thing I want to address is your posture. I'm going to let the music play for a minute. I kind of like it, to be honest. I want you to go with me to Psalm chapter 24, verse 7 through 10. Now, let me tell you what's going on here. There's a city preparing to receive a king. And they're about to give him the grand welcome. And it says, lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates. Lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory, Selah. And the word Selah simply means to pause. I want you to go back to verse 9. Lift up your heads, all you gates. Be lifted up, ancient doors, so the king may come in. Here's what's interesting. Jesus said, I am the gate. He also said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, which was three gates. See, if y'all missing Wednesday Bible study, man... You probably can't get one-third of what I'm saying if you forego the other things that we offer. But gates don't have heads. But he commanded them to be lifted up. Why? So the king of glory could enter. And see, sometimes I think we forget the royalty aspect of God. Elder Robinson, that's one of the reasons why I do like some of the older buildings with the stained glass windows. When you walk in, you hear your voice echo, and there is a sense of, wow. You ain't going to misbehave in that building. You're afraid to. There's just something about them old buildings. You walk in, there's this sense of awe. We've lost that, folks. We build these warehouses, and look, God moved in a warehouse in, 19, in the early 1900s in Azusa Street. It's not about your building. It's about your posture. And see, some of us, we have a posture that's not worthy of royalty. Let me explain. There's something that we make our children do every time worship is going on. 
Sometimes they don't want to do it. Sometimes they don't feel like doing it. But we make our children stand up. We don't give them the option to sit. Because we are inviting royalty. Now, I understand. Please don't misunderstand my heart here. I know there are some people that can only stand for a limited time. I I understand that. But see, it's still about your posture. A king will not visit where he is not wanted. If he's not wanted, he won't come. But see, here's the thing. I want him to come. But if we want him to come corporately, because see, I have a visitation with the king every day. I set a pattern in my life, and the Lord will let me know when that pattern is off. And look, folks, I'm not proclaiming that I am perfect. I make mistakes. God has to correct me. Sometimes my wife has to correct me. Sometimes Dr. Robinson has to correct me. Sometimes other people have to correct me and deal with the heart that I have that's still human. You wouldn't believe how many times, I'm just being so real this morning, how many times I've come into this place excited, come into this thing, place thinking God is going to just absolutely do damage to the kingdom of darkness today. I'm in my office and the music's playing. We come here at 730 and we pray with some people. And I mean, we are feeling it. 1030 rolls around. Folks start showing up. They bring their attitude. They bring their terrible posture. If they, as if they barely want to be here, as they were only here in order to fulfill some sort of legal obligation. And the glory just goes. I'm not trying to look at anybody because I'm sure we've all been victimized by this. We've all come in tired. The Lord did a really weird thing to me last week. He woke me up at 4.55 and he said, get up and go. I got here at 5.28. Went in and turned the water on for the baptistry. Came in here and prayed for two hours and I was like, I get up every day around, or about three days, three or four days a week around, around five. Because I have meetings and various things. I was like, no big deal. By the time Dr. Norm started preaching, I was struggling to keep my eyes open. I told myself, Tim, you will do whatever. You will slap yourself. You will do whatever because you're going to keep a proper posture before royalty. What do you think would happen if you had a visitation with a king? And at your appointment time, you were asleep. See, we don't realize the authority and power the kings have. Here's another thing that I would do. If I had an appointment with the king, if the king was late, I would wait. I done got all gussied up. I done went through that whole protocol mess. How to greet, how to bow, how to do this. If the king or queen is late, I ain't going to say, well, they didn't meet my timeline, so I'm out. And see, there's some of you, you have given up. You've given up on something the Lord has shown you, promised you, you've seen in his word. You've walked away from it because it didn't happen in a time that you expected. 
So while your pattern represents your behavior, your posture represents your attitude. God cannot use a lousy attitude. I'm going to tell you something. I struggle here. Just being honest. My pattern, I don't have any trouble with that. I'm a very disciplined man. Matter of fact, when you interrupt my pattern, I get upset. I'm so structured. If you're looking for me, I'm not a hard man to find. I'm at the same spot at the same time every day, all the time. I just, it's the way I am. But boy, can I cop a toot. Somebody get me upset, I can get my rear end up in the air, and I can stay mad at them for days. My wife calls it brooding. She's hood. I told y'all, she, she don't play with me. And she tell me, sometimes you got to get your attitude right because I don't want to have to deal with this tomorrow. I'm being real, right? We straighten this out today because I know how you is. You'd be like this for days, punishing me over something I didn't even do. I seriously hope it's okay that I admit the fact that I'm not perfect. I'm not trying to diminish the office that I carry. I'm just trying to show you we're all on a journey. We're all trying to improve. We're all getting better. And again, I have no bones about to say that I am a man of God, called by God, on a mission from God, ready to do God's work. And I believe he's working in me, and I'm becoming more and more like him every day. The last thing I want to address, and I'm, I've, I've, I've made up my mind, I want six more minutes. And that's passion. Your pattern, your posture, and your passion. See, in Here's something interesting. In Mark 14, 38, Jesus had been praying. Jesus was going through hell, literally. Sweat and blood. The most possible stress a human being can endure and not be stressed. Jesus experienced it because he was incapable of stress. He handled everything according to the pattern. See, why was Jesus acceptable? Because he knew the pattern. I may revisit this as a, as a, as a series this is, this is just profound stuff in my mind. But he's talking to Peter. He said, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, the flesh is weak. See, Peter had passion. But his pattern was all messed up. His posture was angry. You look at Peter. He was an angry man. He had just recently cut a dude's ear off. Here's what Jesus had to say in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 to 33. And what I'm saying here is many of us are passionate. But if your flesh is in control, if your flesh is not broken, if your flesh is not under the subjection of the cross, it will hinder your spirit man from accomplishing its mission. God can only use your spirit. Our flesh is hopelessly flawed. It has to die. Jesus said, therefore I tell you, don't be anxious, or you could say passionate. Remember that, Mike? When we compared anxiety and passion, how they are so close to the same thing. Do not be anxious about your life, what you should eat or what you should drink, nor about your body or what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? It says, look at the birds of the air, they neither soil, soy, sow, I'll get it right, nor reap, nor gather in the barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they are? 
Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not how much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. See, passion is powerful until it becomes unbridled. Just like an unbridled horse has no sense of direction. It just runs wild and free and has no reins whatsoever. See, if I've never been charged by a wild horse before. I've only been charged by a trained one. And it's really interesting. And I could do a sermon on this about authority. We were in a little bitty town, and there was this horse. His name was Minnow. You know why I know it? Because the owner was screaming at him as he was charging us. The horse was charging us. It was running right for us. And we had a little guy. His name was Jason. He was probably about Jackson's age at the time. Little bitty fella. And this thing was coming at us, and the owner was hollering at him, and the, he, the horse didn't respond. He was running. And little Jason saw this horse, fearless, I'm not even kidding, looked at it and said, Yeah! That thing stopped in its tracks. Ah! Right before it nearly trampled him. Because, see, that horse was trained to respond. A wild horse wouldn't have responded to that. I don't know why he wasn't listening to the owner that day, but he listened to the little boy. See, an unbridled horse is dangerous. An unbridled passion is dangerous. Unbridled passion will not respond to any of the correct things. Jesus said to be passionate about the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom. And he would take care of everything else. I want you to think about that. Jesus said, if you're passionate about my kingdom, I'll handle everything else. And see, so many of us, we have our hand in so many things that we care about. And God is saying, let me handle it. You do what you're here to do. You get your pattern right, you get your posture right, and you get your passion right. And I'm telling you, your purpose will be revealed. We're in an instapot season, folks. We're in, a, we're in a season of pressure. I understand. Sometimes that pressure is so great, we don't know if we can stand up to it. But God said he would not give us more temptation than we can handle. But he did not say he would not give us more pressure than we can handle. That is a misrepresented text. God wants to put more on you than you can handle because he wants you crushed. God is trying to kill you because he wants to be able to use you. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ in me. 
See, why do you think what happened in Acts chapter 2 happened? They had the right pattern. They did what Jesus said to do. They said, be in this city at this time and do this. And they said, okay. They had the right posture. They were praising him. They were worshiping him. They were praying. And they laid aside every passion and said, we're going to go after one thing. See, here's what I don't, un- I don't know how to get people to understand. If you do this, it works. It works. I'm not saying your life is going to be rosy. I'm not going to say it's going to be easy peasy, lemon squeezy. Sometimes the pressure is going to seem so great, you're going to want to do everything but keep going. But Galatians 6, 9, it says, Do not grow weary in well-doing. For in due season, you'll reap a harvest if you don't give up. You wouldn't believe how many times I have been tempted to give in to the pressure and fill this church up with a bunch of immature people. That's all we have to do is change the pattern to match what people want. They'll show up in droves. Thank you for listening to this podcast of Lakeside Elizabethtown. We will see you next week. God bless.